0: Um, And it was funny because I couldn't imagine the kids sitting here, and I was like, that's weird, but they all left, so it works. (laughs) I was like, this is interesting. Cool. Um, So this morning, I just want to start out with um, just a simple way to, um, to just actually become present in the moment. And so I just want you guys to just close your eyes and just place your hand on your heart. And just take notice that your heart is actually, it's beating. You're alive. Take a deep breath in and slowly release it. You are deeply loved by God. You are surrounded by his presence and you are safe in him. There is no doubt in God's mind about his love for you. And Jesus demonstrated this by choosing to die so that his love could cleanse us and make us whole in him. And so no matter what your morning has been like, whether it's been rushing around to church, getting ready, all that kind of stuff, you're here and this is a moment for you to encounter him and to draw close to him in community. Thanks for doing that with me, guys. Um, I've noticed that Frequently, when I, when I enter the service, I can be elsewhere in my mind, and so it just really helps to just become present that I'm here among people that care and among people that are family. And so, um, as you notice the background back here, it's Palms because it's Palm Sunday. Um, and today, as most of you know, is the day that we celebrate Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem as King, the one who came to save us. Um, I'd like to take you back to that day for a moment because I never fully grasped this until studying it recently. Um, In Matthew 21, Jesus sends two disciples into the city to get a donkey or colt in some versions for him to ride into the city on. Now, as a Jew and citizen of Jerusalem, you would have known about the prophecy of um, the prophet Zechariah because you were taught That prophecy as a child. Um, In a prophetic word almost 500 years before this day, Zechariah had given a prophecy. Um, In Zechariah 9 verse 9, he says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. In this chapter, Zechariah actually proceeds to say who the king was that was coming and that he was going to be the Messiah that was strong and able and victorious and that would bring peace to Jerusalem and to all of Israel's problems. And so um, the the little part that's sometimes missed is that um, Zechariah went from talking about Jesus coming into Jerusalem His first coming and his second coming. And so, what Israel was expecting was a king that would come and rescue them from Roman rule and from all the turmoil and unrest that was around them. But what Jesus actually came to do was to bring them peace inside and to save them, to save them from like an eternity without him. And so, it was like a totally different thing than what they expected. And I feel like I feel like I can still sometimes think in the same way as the Israelites did. I can pray for Jesus to bring justice and peace and forget that he empowered me to be the one to walk that out with him in, in, my, in my life. And so um, one of the things Penn frequently talks about is the word for salvation, which is sozo. Um, and it's such an all-encompassing word. From saved, healed, and delivered of our sin, to saved, healed, and delivered in our present, to like saved, healed, and delivered from our mindsets that affect our future. And so it's a full like actual processing word that's continually, like we're in a continual state of being saved, healed, and delivered. And I've just been thinking about that word over and over again saved, healed, and delivered, and how that applies to me um, in my life. And I realized that over the past almost eight years, I've been on a journey of that, of just being saved from, from my past and being healed from my past and being delivered and being actually like reset into the future. And the beauty that I've come to find along this journey is that we don't need to be perfect. We don't need to be like everything fixed and all like together. Like God doesn't, God doesn't mind our mess. He's okay with it. See, I used to think that I used to think that God wasn't okay with me being angry or hurt or scared or like He wouldn't know what to do with that. But um, the truth is, He doesn't require perfection of me before extending love to me. And so um, I was just thinking about that, like how that whole like, process has happened in my life. And um, about a year ago in March, it would be almost a week ago, was when everything kind of shifted in our worlds. And for me, I was away at ministry school up at Elam, and there was just this weekend where everything kind of came to a halt. And there was just full unknowns ahead of me. And suddenly, within, <laughs> within 12 hours, it literally felt like I was on a roller coaster ride, strapped in, and I had no option out. <laughs> and so um, I had to, I had to make a decision in that moment. I remember making this decision. It was, am I going to be scared and anxious, <laughs> which will lead into panic attacks? <laughs> Or will I see this as an adventure with God and see what he has in store for me? And so um, it it was interesting because I was like, oh, this could be fun. Because, you know, roller coaster rides, you don't know what's around the corner. It could be fun. It could be crazy. Um, And so I I was like, okay, like, let's see what happens. And I can't even explain to you how much of my, like, day-to-day at school changed within 48 hours. Like, it was, like, consistent, like, updates <laughs> every day, like, on the hour pretty much of, like, oh, this is changing. Oh, this is changing, you know? And I had to take I had to take several minutes and just be like, you know what? God is the constant. Like, God is the constant in all of this. Um, but one thing I didn't realize that happened in that moment until I was back living in Penyan um, was that I had actually uh, not, allowed myself to, to feel and to process everything that happened because it was all so fast. And so as I slowly began to process those emotions, emotions of pain and anger and hurt and disappointment, I realized that God actually cared about that. Like I met God in my disappointment in ways I've never met God before. And I realized that like Jesus actually had compassion and cared for me in my moment of having to actually let go of all the dreams that I had of what life would look like after school. And so um, I, I processed those and I felt Jesus drawing close to me in a way that he never did before because I didn't realize how much he actually cared And slowly but surely, I began finding hope for the future again, and I can't even tell you how much my life is absolutely amazing at this point a year later that I I would never have expected. But in all of this, it's become so very clear to me that God wants to walk with us in our day-to-day. He doesn't just want to be our Savior from an eternity without him. He wants to be our savior, our healer, and our redeemer in our lives now. And so you see, Jesus knew that. Like, Jesus knew that we needed his love, that we needed his redemption, that we needed his resurrection power in our lives. And so he, like, the one fact that I came to realize about Jesus is that he went through agony and actually chose to die so that we could be connected to him. Like it was a choice he had to make. And that's like the whole like Garden of Gethsemane moment where Jesus is actually choosing into showing us how much he actually loves us. And so um, the only way for us to have that option was for him to die so that we could have relationship with him. Um, And so today, like, let's just welcome him into our lives as they welcomed him into Jerusalem on that day where he came in and they shouted, Hosanna, hail the one who saves us. You're our savior. You're our king. But let's welcome him into our hearts in that way and let him out through us into the world in that way.
1: Victoria did a good job this morning. She introduced us to Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, and it's a prophecy that happened hundreds of years before uh, Jesus actually was put on that donkey and uh, described him him coming and described some of the tragedy that was going to happen at Jerusalem that Jesus also prophesied. So we have that as a background. Uh, Nothing was by accident. Everything was planned. But... uh, there's about 50 prophecies about Jesus' first coming, and the scholars who were looking at that didn't get it. They had such, you know, graphic detail about him riding on the on a baby donkey, a colt. But it wasn't until they saw it, and even after a while, after Jesus was raised from the dead, they started to put it all together. And there's such an emphasis these days on his second coming, and there's prophecies and trying to figure out what Revelation, the book of Revelation says and what Daniel says. They could hardly do it for his first coming. I'm not sure that we're doing such a great job really being able to f- track it for his second coming. I think some of the things that are going to unfold in the days ahead, we're going to say, oh, that's what that means. That's, that's what they were writing about, and it's going to be very, very fulfilling that way. Uh, if you go with me to John chapter 12, verse 12. John describes this. He describes uh, uh, the moment where they, they were shouting Hosanna and, and uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And uh, John writes, he says, if you look in verse 16, it says, and the disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered the things which are written about him and they, they had done it. They were actually fulfilling uh, hundreds of years old prophecy, setting Jesus on the donkey. Jesus didn't stage it. He didn't say, hey, let's fulfill scripture today. Uh, it, it dawned on them. Man, we, we were the ones who put him on the donkey. We were, we were in the Bible. We were, we were uh, Zechariah had seen us and had seen that moment of Jesus coming riding in on this donkey, If you go to Luke chapter 19, we're going to spend most of our time there this morning. It's called the triumphal entry, starting in verse 28. And um, this whole thing happened out of town. It started out of town. There's two little villages. They don't exist today. I've I've tried to get in to see them. There's uh, Bethpage, which is House of Figs and a lot of fig trees in that area, and Bethany. You can go up the hill out of Jerusalem, past Calvary, past uh, the Mount of Olives, and there's two miles outside of town, all, almost all straight up. There's uh, two little villages, and Jesus spent a lot of time there. It's the home of Lazarus. He lives in one of these places. And uh, Jesus tells the disciples to go and get the colt, and there must be a whole backstory to that, which we can't get into today. But they set him on the colt, And they start going downhill, and a parade spontaneously breaks out. And people went crazy. They're shouting. They're singing. They're breaking branches off the trees. They're taking off their outer cloaks and laying them on the road for the king. And they're shouting, blessed is the king. They see Jesus as the king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king. And they're shouting, Hosanna's just exactly like we heard this morning, they wanted to be rescued. And they were seeing it in short-term, short-term view that Jesus would rescue them from the oppression of the Gentiles, the pagans who dominated their country. What an amazing moment. What joy. And the kids are shouting. They're shouting Hosanna. They're singing. They're running alongside. Jesus is on this little donkey, and the crowd's swelling. People are coming out of nowhere, and it's a tremendous time of jubilation, a time of great joy. In fact, there hadn't been joy on that side hill for a 1,000 years. A 1,000 years before, King David came down that same hill, came into Jerusalem through the same gate. And he was following, he was dancing. There were trumpeters and tambourines and, and uh, all kinds of musical instruments. And Jesus, uh, John, um, sorry, David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, and it created pandemonium. It created incredible joy. And they're sacrificing. They would take half a dozen steps and sacrifice something all the way down from the house of Obed-Edom. Great, great joy. A thousand years later, Joy erupts again. Only this time it's for the king of Israel. And Jesus really is the king of Israel. But he doesn't look very kingly. And part of that is by design. Part of that is his meekness. He's coming lowly. He's meek. He doesn't have a crown. He doesn't have a trumpeter who's, who's trumpeting that the king is coming, the king is coming, the way some of the earlier kings had announced their coronation. He doesn't have a gold sash. He doesn't have a sword. He doesn't have an entourage. He doesn't have a a great massive army. He's not on a a war steed. He's not on a big massive war horse with a big chest. He's coming down this hill on a spindly-legged baby donkey. And that had never been ridden before. And they're shouting, blessed is the king, blessed is the king. And if you can picture the kids running alongside, instead of trumpeters, he's got kids, and they're shouting Hosanna, they're dancing, they're prancing, they're twirling around. Everyone's full of joy. And, and, uh, but there's this group that's running alongside them, and they're livid, they're angry. And they're saying, tell them to stop, tell the kids to stop, tell the kids to stop shouting. And Jesus just keeps going. He says, if I tell them to stop, even the very stones will cry out. They were angry because it didn't fit their picture of prophecy. It didn't fit their picture of scripture. It just seemed wrong that they would be shouting to him. But Jesus is the king. He just doesn't look it. And he comes in. You can read beginning in verse 28. Verse 38 says, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. You can see where they rebuke the the, the the disciples and, and other places as they rebuke the kids. Then verse 41: Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. And this is part of Zechariah's prophecy as well. They don't know it, but about 40 years later, less than 40 years later, that city would be totally destroyed. A million and a half people would be murdered, old people slain in the street, the pride of Jerusalem, the young people would all be murdered a holocaust like they can't imagine. And Jesus is weeping, and he prophesies about this coming, even though they can't possibly get it. They can't possibly take it in. He actually, at one point in time, prophesied about the temple. And this was the pride of everything. This was the center of everything. And he said not one stone will be standing on, left standing on top of the other. And it was exactly that way. It was totally decimated. But they couldn't imagine that. They couldn't picture it. I think there's some things about the last days that are coming, that are coming now, that it's hard for us to picture, hard for us to really get it accurately. I think there's a way of walking in an abiding way where we abide in him so that we know in the moment we'll say that's what the scripture was saying. That's that's what John saw. That's what the prophets had seen. That's what they proclaimed. That's what Jesus was talking about. I think we have to walk with an open heart rather than, uh, be too emphatic about it. There's not much we can be emphatic about. Look at verse forty-five. Uh, Jesus goes into the temple and he drives out those who bought and sold. Uh, one of the one of the uh, versions of this, I'm not sure if it was Matthew or Mark, said that he came in. It was it was at the end of the day, so this whole procession lasted a long time. And, and so he saw what was happening. He went out, and he came back in and cleaned the temple. But he cleaned the temple. This is the second time. If you go and you, you, you read where Jesus was in the wilderness and he begins his ministry, one of the very first things he did in his public ministry is he went in and he cleaned house. He cleaned the temple. He turned over uh, the money tables. He let loose the animals. He whipped the, the livestock. Because it was a sham, the whole thing was a con. had become this way of making money that you couldn't bring your sheep. You had to buy one of their sheep, maybe at three times the cost, four times the cost. You couldn't use street money. You had to exchange it for temple coins, and they ripped you off. They robbed you. They they took advantage of you. Now, it was required that every male had to go up to Jerusalem three times a year. And so you got your 12-year-old boy. He's now a man, and it's your first time or his first time, and you've been doing it since you're 12 years old your dad took you and you're going up to temple and you get there and it's it's a carnival it's a midway they keep the barkers are calling come here come exchange your money with me Can you exchange your money with me someone else says no exchange your money with me we got a better rate and they're just trying to gouge you and they're hawking and stealing and your son says this is church this is religion, dad. This is, what, this is what's required. And the dad, there's pickpockets. There's thieves. Plus, there's a, a legitimate way of, of them taking your money. Well, legitimate in the sense it was required by law, but they've exploited it. And their pockets are bulging with coins. And they don't care about you. They don't care about worship. They don't care about prayer. They don't care that you're there seeking the Lord. They're Gentiles there. Gentiles were allowed to go to the temple. They had their own court. Can you imagine a Gentile coming, and he's heard about the great God of the children of Israel, and he gets there, and he's robbed three or four different ways before he gets into the temple? Can you imagine what would go through his mind when he says, this, this is it? This is, the, this is the great God of Israel? They've picked my pocket. They've exploited me in front of my son. Can you imagine how awful that would be. That would make Jesus livid. This is supposed to be a house of prayer, and they've turned it into a den of thieves. And so he goes in there, and this is the second time. Now you got to have something under the hood to to do this. You you got to go. You're going in there by yourself. You're going against the system. And you go in, and the first thing you do is start kicking over tables, throwing over tables, letting doves loose. The doves were the poorest offering for the poorest people. His mom had offered a dove because they were so poor when when he was dedicated at the temple 30 years before. Amazing, amazing thing that Jesus was so angry because religion, carnal religion, was keeping people from prayer. Carnal religion was offending people at the heart, saying, if that's church, I don't want any part of it. If that's religion, I don't want any part of it. There's stuff that should make us angry. There's stuff that, there's, there's something wrong with you if you don't get angry. We should get angry at this kind of exploitation and, and, and stuff that's done in the name of the Lord that is just gouging I remember one time I was out visiting and I was trying to get this guy to come to church. I'd bought a car from him. He was a used car salesman. I knew his brother um, was a pastor, and, and but he didn't go to church. And I was talking to him and I finally asked him, I said, how come you don't go? You know, you, knew you were raised in this. How come you don't go? How come you don't go to church? He said, well, I'm just so sick of all the Christians coming in here, buying my cars. I'm one of them. So I'm listening very intently. He says, they always ask me, what's the Mennonite price? You laugh, but have you ever been asked what the Mennonite price is? That means, that means I expect a discount. He said, people have come in here and they've said, what did you pay for the car? And then I'll pay you just a little bit more. He says, it's like, it's like they don't want me to make a living These these are church people. And it's just so offensive that he just thought it'd be better, more edifying, safer for him just to stay home, not go to church on Sunday. He says, me and my wife, we we sit down, we have our time, but I won't go to church. I wonder how many people in our community, how many people around us are just so offended at, at carnal Christian behavior. I think that should make us angry. I think we should set the picture right. I think we should tell them that Jesus wasn't that way. Jesus was as angry as you. Jesus got angry just like you're angry. You should get angry. That system is wrong, but it doesn't have to be that way. Not every church is that way. Not every pastor is looking for that 10% discount. I'll tell you what, folks. I, I don't say this very often. Let's just pay our way. Let's pay full price. Let's bless them. Let's, let's be the best tippers in town. When we, and we have enough business people among ourselves. Let's say, I want to pay. I don't, I'm not asking you to do this for free. I want to pay. I think that's the right way to live, isn't it? If you want to do it as a blessing, that's fine. But we should be in a position where we offer to pay. We shouldn't call without being willing to pay. It does offend. It does create problems. Imagine trying to explain to your 12 year old boy, son, this isn't real religion. There's something beyond this. This isn't it. Jesus came as a wonderful king. He just didn't look like a king. That's part of his meekness. But let's go a little bit further. Let's go to Revelation 19. Why don't you flip over there with me? Easy to remember. Luke 19, Revelation 19. Here's what John saw. John was one of the disciples who actually put Jesus on the colt. Maybe was one of the first to take off his cloak and throw it on the road to create a, a place for Jesus to come down and honor him as a king. This is John years later. And he's caught up in paradise, and he's caught up in the, in, the, in the new Jerusalem. He gets to see that. He gets to see the future. He gets to see what's coming. Jesus said, write out everything you see, everything you hear. I want people to know. Look at this. Uh, Revelation 19. Look at verse 11. John says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except he himself. And he was clothed in a robe. Dripped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe, on his thigh, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What a dramatic contrast. I can't think of two, two star, more stark contrast in the Bible. Jesus coming down that hill on a, on a spindly-legged Baby donkey. And now he's coming in snorting on a war horse. Not just one crown, many crowns. A sword coming out of his mouth. An army. I want to be in that number, don't you? I want to be ones who come back with Jesus if, if if I'm not here at that time. But he comes in with his army. I mean, before, it's it's an army of kids. It's an army of, of disciples. It's an army of... Young people who caught the vision. What a contrast. Jesus is coming back. Tell the person next to you, look them right in the eye and say, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back for me. He's coming back. That is a fact of life. What John saw here will happen. Jesus is coming back. This whole thing is going to wrap up. It's just going to be a ball of ash someday. Peter asked when he said that, he said, someday it's just going to be all consumed. He said, what manner of people ought you to be if everything we're building and everything we're working and everything we, we stress over, everything we put our time, money, energy into is, is going to be gone. But this is, this is a reality. Jesus is coming back. It's going to be different this time. He's a mighty king. I'm learning to relate to him more as a king. More of that revelation has got in my heart. I'm beginning to see him as a king. I'm saying, Lord, look after it. Lord, take care of this. You, as a mighty king, please take care of this. Look after this. Would you take this care that I'm having, that I carry, would you take it and look after it as a mighty king because he is. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He can do anything. It's an amazing thing that Jesus came riding a donkey on Palm Sunday. As Rodney said, a week later, the it was a whole different scene. Just even a few days later, three days later. There's a a sham of a court that had to happen. Jesus spent the night at Caiaphas' house. I've been in what they think is Caiaphas' house in Jerusalem. They think they found it. There's a hole in the floor where they might have lowered Jesus down. And there's a carved out uh, little cell, airless cell. And you could actually go down in there and see what that would be like. And they believe that's where they kept Jesus for the night. It was such a different picture. The people who were shouting Hosanna, by the time it got down to Jerusalem, uh, one, of the, one of the gospel writers said the whole city knew that something, something big was happening. He said, who, what is this? And he said, that's, that's Jesus of Nazareth. He's come, Jesus of Nazareth. The whole city was in an uproar because of this thing. But many of the same people who were shouting Hosanna, Hosanna, three days later were in the crowd shouting Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They didn't have two crowds. It's the same, it's the same people. shows you how p- things can shift, how following the crowd is, is not healthy. We have to know for ourselves. There's a lot of things we should say no to that the crowd is following. There's a lot of fear-mongering these days. It's nice just to opt out of it and say, I'm not going to follow the fear. I'm not going to follow that. I have a king. I have a king. He's mighty. He's faithful and true. I've known Jesus as being faithful and true. Aren't you grateful for that today? I am.